0: And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm honored. Today is Tuesday, March the 23rd, 2021, in the year of our Lord. Today, on March 23, 1775, Patrick Henry delivered an address to the Virginia Provincial Convention. In that address, he said famously, give me liberty or give me death. He had gone into some um, depth in explaining to his colleagues that those British ships that were parked just offshore of the American colonies were not there on vacation. They were not a tour ship or a cruise. He said, they're here to destroy us. And he said, this is the time to take a stand. And he went on to say, give me liberty or give me death. It's interesting that the secular um, historians are trying to write that out of history and have now begun in recent editions of history, have begun um, undermining the fact that he actually said that by saying, it is said that he said, and then they quote it. It's interesting how there's always an undertow at work on anything to do with the goodness of America and the history, the accurate history of America, there's always that effort to undermine, and as we now say, cancel what is good and what is virtuous. Today, in 1806, explorers Meriwether Lewis and William Clark—they had been out here in the Pacific Northwest for the winter—and um, they began their journey back east. And one of the, one of them wrote—I can't remember which one what it was—it was Lewis or Clark—but they wrote in their journal. They said this: the Northwest. They had been on the beach, actually, by, I think it was Seaside, Oregon, somewhere in there. And uh, what we know now is that uh, they had written in their journal that this area is not fit for man or beast. It is brutal, the weather. So they were very happy to be headed back uh, back to the Midwest and the East where they had come from. But they began that journey today in 1806. Today, in 1919, Benito Mussolini, he founded his fascist political movement in Milan, Italy. Today, in 1933, the German Reichstag adopted the Enabling Act. The Enabling Act effectively granted Adolf Hitler dictatorial powers. And today, in 1942, the first Japanese Americans evacuated by the U.S. Army during World War II arrived at the internment camp in Manzanar, California, Today, in 1993, scientists announced they'd found the renegade gene that causes Huntington's disease. Today, in 2004, a federal commission concluded that Clinton and Bush administration officials had engaged in lengthy, ultimately fruitless diplomatic efforts instead of military action to try to get Osama bin Laden before the 9-11 attacks. Top Bush officials said that the terror attacks would have occurred even if the United States had killed al-Qaeda leader. What that's all about is the fact that Bush did step up and help cover for Clinton. Clinton had as president, our guys in the military, had Osama bin Laden. They had their guns trained on him, literally. And Clinton would not give them permission from the White House as president to kill him. They had their guns on him, their video of this. I've seen it, in fact, and he would not give them the go-ahead and shoot order. So they, he got away. They let him go, obviously. And that became known. And um, Bush stepped up and helped Clinton, and they kind of covered it up and said, "Well, it, it didn't matter. It, it's inconsequential because um, it would have the terror attacks were already underway, and it would have happened." And maybe that's true. I don't know. But anyway, that's what that is about. And finally. Today in 2010, claiming a historic triumph, President Barack Obama signed the Affordable Care Act, a $938 billion health care overhaul that was and is a disaster. Isn't it interesting how small, I'm smiling, how small $938 billion seems to be <laughs> up against $1.9 Trillion dollars? Come back to that in a moment. Just a few minutes ago, it's about an hour or so ago now, the suspect in that grocery store, Boulder Boulder King Super's grocery store shooting, has been charged with 10 counts of first-degree murder, police are saying this morning. And the Boulder police chief, Maris Harold, she identified... Uh, As I said, just a couple of hours ago, the alleged gunman in yesterday's massacre as Ahmed Alissa. He's 21 years old. He's from Arveda, which is about 20 miles south of Boulder. She also identified the 10 slain victims. I won't read their names because I don't know any of them. Perhaps you don't either, but they range in age from 20 to 65. Saying the last body, the chief police chief said, The last body was removed from the scene about 1.30 a.m. this morning. Family members were notified within two hours of of, of the massacre. And the police chief said, I want to say to the community, I am so sorry this incident happened. The chief said this with tears in her eyes. She said, we're going to do everything in our power to make sure this suspect has a thorough trial and we do a thorough investigation. It's sadness that cannot be measured or described when things like these happen. But there is one more thing we can do, and it isn't begin to take guns away from people. Guns are not the problem. Sin is the problem. But the one more thing that all of us can do, even if we don't know any of those that were affected, we don't know them personally. Perhaps you do, but for the most part, we don't. But we can honestly pray, not just say we'll pray for the family, but pray for the families who lost their loved ones. As a result of just going to the grocery store, you would not think that was high risk. Yesterday began for those families just like any other day. We never know what a day is going to bring in each of our lives. We simply don't know. Take a moment today and remember the families who lost loved ones. Ten. One of them was a police officer. Ten were killed. Just say, God, extend your mercy, your grace, and your healing to these people who grieve so deeply today. And just 24 hours ago, they had no idea. What was about to happen? We never know. It's an interesting story behind the the hymn, the old hymn. used to be in all the hymnals. We don't sing it much anymore. But it asks the question, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus is the answer to that. Robert Lowry, he was an educator, a Baptist pastor, a professor, I think it was Bucknell University for a number of years, pretty well known among Christian circles. He wrote a number of gospel songs. One of them was, What Can Wash Away My Sin? Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. Interestingly enough, that song became one of the well-known favorites throughout Christianity. Lowry lived, he was born in 1826. He passed away in 1899. Was, I think it was the 1870s when he wrote that song, that particular song. But it became known as a song that Christians like to sing in churches, yet yet, the United Methodist hymnal first noted it when it was first published, Nothing But the Blood, as one of the top hymns that the Methodists like to sing. Same with the Evangelical United Brethren. But the night. In 1957, the Evangelical United Brethren decided they didn't want blood hymns. That's what they called them, blood hymns, in their hymnal. So they removed it. Some said it was an anathema. They didn't want blood in their church worship services. In 1966, the Methodist hymnal decided to do the same, even though it was one of the most popular hymns they sang. For many, one of the leaders said, Reverend Carlton Young, he was the editor of the United Methodist Hymnal at that time, he said, quote, For many, however, this hymn is anathema, especially for those who loathe blood hymns. Now today, the United Methodist Church is deciding how to split. Because they've turned away from the blood of Christ as being the atonement for sin, and they are now condoning sin, half the church is, wanting to bless and ordain homosexuals. They don't care what the Bible says. It started with a hymn, and now they're deleting, tearing out the pages of God's Word and throwing them away as they head for a planned split in the United Methodist Church. One group is going to stay with the Bible. They're going to sing the hymns, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And they're going to condone marriage as between a man and a woman. And that is splitting one of the great denominations in Christendom, in the world. It all comes down to what we believe, and what we believe matters. Because from the abundance of our heart, our mouth speaks and our actions follow. Well, King County is announcing today that Seattle, Washington, it's in the national news as a matter of fact. They're going to spend $5 million of that COVID relief provided under President Joe Biden's American Rescue Plan. They're going to use it to fight Anti-Asian bias in response to the recent shootings, not in Boulder, but in Atlanta. The shootings at three massage parlors there, six of the eight victims that were killed were Asian-American. There is no evidence of any known racial motive with this guy that did the killing. There is a church connection. He was involved in his church, they have discovered. Actually, in in some form of volunteer leadership. They have discovered that he has admitted, and others have said that they were aware of that, that he had a problem with sexual addiction. But there's nothing. He said, no, he's not racist. But the media says, yes, you are. We need you to be racist. We're going to make you racist. And now that has launched this major, major program response, and nowhere more than in Seattle. And here in the Northwest, we have many Asian people who have come here to become Asian-American, whatever. But how the news is taken and manipulated, and how the news is crafted to fit the the agenda of the progressives, the far-left secular progressives, never ceases to amaze me. It's absolutely stunning. How they will take any crisis and rework it, reframe it, and make it to advance their agenda, whatever that may be. It doesn't matter what the crisis is. No matter how sad, no matter how hurtful, they take the crisis and they use it to advance their agenda. And that's exactly what's happening in this. The shootings at the three massage parlors had no known racial motive. And believe me, they've been trying to dig up a racial motive, but they can't find one. Only a small portion of Biden's $1.9 trillion bill passed along party lines is actually directed at coronavirus-related spending. Much of the spending, that $1.9 trillion, which dwarfs the amount that obamacare got back in the day but most of that spending is directed toward padding the budgets of democrat-run state and local government, the expansion of social welfare programs and in, in what democrats have hailed as the most progressive bill in american history the seattle times reported yesterday that king county executive dal constantine announced his plans to fight anti-asian racism with money from the American Rescue Plan, the pandemic relief legislation that was supposed to help us get through this, this pandemic granted billions of federal dollars to Washington State, including $437 million to King County. They're taking $5 million initially and more to come out of that to fight this, this Asian racial um, problem that we have. Hate crimes. And they have to create the hate crimes as they go. I'm not minimizing it. I have many friends from Asia. And before you judge me, please know that I've spent a great deal of time and my wife with me often in Asia, building, starting churches, working with the people, the pastors, been in their homes, been with them in their churches. Biggest church in the world is in Asia. It's in South Korea. I've preached there probably 25 times has seven, eight, nine hundred thousand members. I know the Asian people. I'm not an expert, but I know them. I love them. But this thing is being used, in my opinion, simply to advance an agenda. And this whole matter of this American rescue plan, $1.9 trillion, was in great part to move forward the agenda of the left, not to help America. King County prosecuted 59 anti-Asian hate crimes in 2020. That was up from 39 in 2019. Local leaders, it is said (laughs) by the press today, are blamed for the rhetoric around the coronavirus, including former President Donald Trump's references to the fact that the pandemic originated in China. Well, it did. But now, because Trump said it started in China, even the press, even Seattle Times was calling it the Wuhan virus a year ago right now, because that's what we've done throughout history. Ebola started in Africa, and it was called the Ebola virus because the first cases were found along the Ebola River in Africa. Is that racist? I don't think so. But that's where we are. It's very, very sad. And yet, this mind-bending experience that we have today, where the press, and particularly the social media, is bending the thinking of America. And if we don't stay close to the Word of God, and if we don't have it very clear in our minds that there, that this is a sin problem, it's not a cultural problem, primarily. The cultural problem results from the sin problem. If we don't understand that we need to be forgiven of our sins, we need to be cleansed, we need to be washed in the blood of the Lamb. We need to know Christ personally. Our culture is never going to survive this because the onslaught is just overwhelming. It's incredible. And now they're after our kids. Public education has been indoctrinating our children for the last generation or so. They've been teaching fifth graders, even kindergarten in some cases, that I have read, how to put a condom on a cucumber. Little boys, long before they should be introduced to all of that kind of thing. But now social media has taken over, and they are focused with their dead eye on our children. And I want to talk to you about that for a few minutes today. Facebook is building a new Instagram for kids under 13. And it's not because they love kids and want to help you entertain your children. It's in an internal memo, not intended for the public, but executives at Instagram, which is owned by Facebook. They said last week, quote, we have identified youth work as a priority for Instagram and have added it to our H1 priority list. I don't know what H1 is, but I guess that's their primary priority list. But back in 2017, Facebook launched Messenger Kids. It's a product aimed at children 6 to 12 years of age who supposedly had permission from their parents to be on there, and they probably did, but not all of them. However, in 2019, it was discovered that a design flaw allowed the kids to sidestep their parents and the protection through group chats with unapproved strangers. I'm not suggesting that Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook did that purposely, although I don't think they're above that in some cases. It was probably an honest flaw in the in the system, I don't know, but I do know there was a flaw, and they've admitted that. Thousands of kids exploited that flaw. Little kids, they figured it out. They're smart. I mean, they're really smart. To you, grandparents, if you have a question about, you know, about social media or your computer or your iPhone or whatever, ask your ask your first grader. They'll t- the uh, grandchild. They'll t- they'll tell you. They can fix it in a in a heartbeat. Thousands of kids were exploited, or they exploited that flaw. And they were chatting with people completely unknown to their parents and to them. Okay, now they have a plan, social media, a new plan, a new scheme to attract kids 13 and younger, but child health care experts are rising to the occasion, and they are strongly opposing this, and so should you. Let me tell you what's happening there. But first, let me just thank you for your support of this ministry. It is vital, it is necessary, and it is deeply appreciated. Thank you. We need your support. Our address is Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. I am often told by different people in different areas of my life or my contact, that nobody's doing exactly what we're doing on the radio. Coming from a pastoral point of view, spent my life in ministry as an ordained minister, but we're looking at what's happening today in the news from a biblical perspective, and we're not being timid about calling it for what it is to the best of our ability. And God has blessed this. And you are a part of that. You too will be blessed and credited by God who keeps track of our works. We're not saved by our works, but he he knows. You too will be blessed. And I want to thank you for it. It's so important that we have these discussions and we have a growing audience. And again, it's possible because you support it. Thank you. And if you don't, please consider doing so. We need you. BuzzFeed got a hold of the, this memo, it's a news group. The internal announcement comes just days after Instagram said it needs to do more to protect its youngest users. They put out a, a press release just a week last week. They need to do more to protect their youngest users, which means they were called out on it and they were responding. But following coverage and public criticism of the abuse, bullying, and predation Faced by teens on the app, the company published a blog post last Tuesday. It was titled, Continuing to Make Instagram Safer for the Youngest Members of Our Community. The current Instagram policy forbids children under the age of 13 from using this service. While this public announcement does not directly mention the information on this internal memo that was not supposed to be in the public because it was internal for the, only the people working on this new project. But it lays the groundwork for a second attempt at building a product to target your children. There are a number of laws that limit companies in what they can do to target children. Vaping and, and even the alcohol industry and, and cigarettes and all that kind of thing. I mean, there have been a lot of laws written in recent years, and they, there should have been. But Zuckerberg clearly sees your kids or your grandkids as a viable growth segment for his social media empire. That's what this is about. He and his executives know that more and more kids want to use apps like Instagram. It was a challenge verifying their age, given they normally don't have identification documents. And they didn't really go after it with this kid messenger thing. The problem with Zuckerberg's first attempt at our kids was that a design flaw allowed the kids to sidestep the Parental authority. When that became known, then they scrambled, of course, only after it became known. Verge detailed the problem. Here's the problem. In a standard one on one chat, and some kids are still using this, so be very, very aware and very uh, informed on this. In a standard one on one chat, children can only initiate conversations with users who have been approved by the child's parents, but those permissions became more complex when applied to a group chat because of the multiple users involved. So when your your child or your grandchild is talking to a group of people, that's when they become most vulnerable. Whoever launched the group could invite any user who was authorized to chat with them, even if that user wasn't authorized to chat with the other group, other children in the group. As a result, thousands, tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of children were left in these chats with unauthorized users. That, of course, was a violation of the core promise that messenger kids had made to parents. Now, not ministry-oriented people, but science-oriented people, like Pyra Kumar, I think that's how you pronounce her name. She's at the University of Maryland. She researches how social media affects families. She's coming down and saying that this is a way for Facebook to hook in young people and normalize the idea that societal connections exist to be monetized just like they're doing to to parents to adults she noted that quote a lot of children either by choice or by accident migrate onto the broader youtube platform just because you have a platform for kids doesn't mean they'll stay there she says well that's pretty basic but we need to hear that when zuckerberg initially launched this flawed messenger kids there was a group of more than 95 advocates for children's health. This is not a Christian movement. This is a secular educational movement. They're saying, hey, don't do this. They sent a letter to Facebook chairman Mark Zuckerberg. They asked him to discontinue the product. They said in the letter, among other things, excessive use of digital devices and social media is harmful to children and teens, making it very likely the new app would undermine children's healthy development. And in that context, Scientists are now saying, psychologists, psychiatrists are now saying that there is an addiction that is measurable and scientifically provable to people. They become addicted to those who are using the social media habitually, as we have come to do in America. And they say this will do harm to the children. It will harm the development of their brain and they will become instantly addicted to this. Children are acting out. They can't decide. They can't discern between reality and what they're seeing on a screen, whether it's killing people or whatever it is. A Harvard study confirms this. Just out, Dr. Rose, due to the effect that it has on the brain, social media addiction, both physically and psychologically, has got to be addressed. They found that self-disclosure on social media sites lights up the same part of the brain that also ignites when taking an addictive substance. That's where we are in America. And parents, we've got to get involved with our children. Don't let the secular culture raise your children. That's your job. Thanks for being with me today. It's always a pleasure, always a privilege to spend these few moments with you. We'll continue our conversation right here tomorrow. Have a great day.